John, good evening to you and welcome to Metro FM Talk. Good evening. Thank you very much. John, let's maybe, I guess, I was saying earlier on and, uh, you know, I guess putting down a provocation of my own ideas and interactions with gaming. And I must say, as someone who's a consumer of the gaming industry, I am often startled by how little of our own content I find in many of the retail stores where you want to buy a game. Uh, even if it's for some of my younger sort of nieces and nephews, you find yourself in the same kind of space. They're playing the same FIFA, you know, that I was playing, uh, you know, in the early 2000s and the late 90s. Um, and similarly, uh, you know, one doesn't get a sense that we've made the kind of advances when it comes to representation demographically and otherwise in the gaming sector. How, how do we resolve and confront some of those issues? Now, first of all, to say that you're absolutely correct in terms of the fact that we are we are just consumers mm. of gaming. We're not necessarily Creators. involved in mm. the creation, the um, the augmentation, and, and and you know the real value proposition around gaming. And this is a big problem across the continent in mm. multiple sectors. Gaming is not you know just one of them. We're so sure. we're almost a place where people come to dump stuff. You know, and we consume it. So, mm. and one of the things that you know, ICE in, tries to do is to be able to highlight this and highlight the level of creativity that we have amongst our youths, especially mm. who are able to develop games, to develop um, you know um, different types of gaming products that we can consume locally, mm. and then we can use to be able to build thriving economies. And the idea is gaming for economic development. Mm. Uh, and if you look at someone like Japan, is Asia. You can see how well they've done. I mean, take a look at Tencent, man. Exactly. Creating games that drive their own social culture, you know, bring money in, and then they also export. So now we know them for certain type of games. Mm. And this is where, you know, and that's where gaming meets technology as well. You know, you talked about AI and things like that. So this is where we begin to also look at how do we not just consume gaming, but begin to develop our young people. Mm. We have a lot of smart young people across the continent, you know, you know, developers, you know, game experts. How do we begin to get them to understand and curate their minds to start saying, you know, we have the market. Mm. Mm. Now we need to start developing ourselves so that we can control our own destiny. Mm. And that is part of the objective of ICE Africa as well. I mean, one would think that that market takes on a fundamentally different and more accessible form in a mobile first continent like Africa. Yes, I mean, and that's where the mobile has given us the opportunity to leapfrog. Mm. You know, you see the likes of Microsoft, um, you know, big game company, Game Loft, you know, game, you know, looking at how they can harness, first of all, the exponential critical mass opportunity here, mm. and then how they can also harness the opportunity of the mobile phone that we have to then be able to say, okay, where do we start from in terms of injecting what is required to now begin to create you know, creative game content owners. I mean, think about it, for example, you literally do not have game studios in Africa. You probably have nope. one or two. Maybe one here in South Africa or two and maybe one somewhere else. Mm, and Maybe one in Kenya somewhere. <laughs> you know, if it, even if it ex- probably <laughs> exists. So, but this, we're talking about it's a multi-trillion dollar industry. You know, we're not talking about, it's a multi-trillion industry industry because his gaming education entertainment and consumption all wrapped in one mm. including technology mm. so for a continent like africa if we also embrace this and also even our leaders understand mm. the value of this sector that could be a major contribution to our gdp mm. what, what's the biggest logjam uh, i mean i guess a lot of our leaders um, and it might be a generational issue as well right um, might not be familiar with the economic value and potential 
of the gaming industry. But in many instances, there's also licensing requirements that they put in the path of somebody who might be interested in that sector. So, so if you if you gain, so if you look at the spectrum of gaming, so you start from lottery, sports, casinos, mm. then esports. You know, than card games. So you have to take each one of them as a particular entity sure. and then look at how we look at them. Traditionally, we've always looked at gaming from a culture and religious perspective. Obviously, the same religion we're handed down by the people who bring us the games. And now, you know, the culture and religion then demands that, oh, you know, gaming is negative. Mm. But gaming has always been part of history. Yeah. You know, people have played games for as long as we can remember. You know, and, and for example, things like lottery are secondary forms of taxation mm. that people used to do back in the early days that governments used to actually used to make money and then be able to spread some kind of wealth mm. to people. So, and then if you look at the advent of sports betting, which has become completely crazy in so many different markets, it's also a way to create entertainment and effectively be able to create a secondary source of income to the country. But I say, you know, so it's all about how do you manage the relationship between the fact that our young people are exposed to these mm, things. Mm. They have access to it. The internet, the global highway, has connected everybody. So if you don't regulate it properly in your country, if you don't license it properly, mm. if you don't do the right things, and you make it a black market economy, then the young people will be taken advantage of. I mean, it's of. interesting that you mentioned this because, you know, as I was making the point earlier on, I was speaking about generational issues, but in a way you've expanded, I guess, the scope of what we understand gaming to be. You know, a few months ago, I remember Terms of Reference came out from uh, one of the big gambling regulators here in South Africa. And they wanted somebody who was going to do research on esports, right? And, and betting around uh, esports or, or even like online betting on sports games. Um, this is in 2019. They were only then wanting, I guess, to react to something that they'd already seen. And if you go to any sports betting hall or any platform, you're likely to see that filled to the brim with people trying to bet either on the EPL or any other sports event globally. And it seems the regulators are only catching up now. Well, what impact does that then have for some of the ecosystems that you are talking about or even the prospect of having some of the labs here on the continent? Yeah, so, so what that means is we will always be taken advantage of by you know, people who... I'm not saying, you know, not necessarily have our best interests at heart. Mm. You know, uh, there are the ones who have our best interests at heart, but because the regulations are not clear, they will not come. Mm. You know, when you don't have clarity in regulation, the proper operators, the ones who will actually, you know, do the right things, who will bring responsible gambling, who will even work to develop our ecosystem of young people, who will help to create, you know, game labs. And they won't come because mm. there is no clear regulation. Clarity in regulation breeds income mm. and this is what our some of our leaders don't really understand and it's not just about taxation taxing people and you, in 2019 when you're not just beginning to grapple with the fact that this is already happening some people are taking advantage of your young people people w i mean effectively it's like saying people will drink alcohol anyway Either way, if you ban alcohol, mm. people tomorrow they will go and start making their own little alcohol. Mm. Ask America answer. during the prohibition, yeah. Exactly. So there's no no need to become extremist about these things. It's how do we, as a country or as multiple countries, begin to understand how other countries... I mean, somebody said something to me yesterday. He said, look, why is Africa bent on learning the hard way? Mm. Europe, America have gone through 100 years of misery to get to where they are. Why can't we just learn you know, from, learn from yeah. where they are and be able to be better? 
but we still decide to go back into time just to learn the heart. We're quite happy to. So, the, the, and this is the same thing that happens in gaming. Regulators, you know, politicians, policymakers do not understand the industry. They don't involve people who understand the industry. They don't understand the impact and the opportunity, the negative and positive opportunities mm. of the industry. So, what happens? They create regulations, they create laws that make no sense, and then that has a negative impact. And I keep saying to them, people will play. Mm. Either you ban it or you don't. People will play. If you ban it, if you make it difficult for them to play, then what will happen is they will go other to, and yeah. to other people will take advantage of them. Mm. And this mm. is the pure history that's happened over time in yeah. every country. Okay, let's pause there for a second and allow me at this point uh, to invite some of our listeners to weigh in on our conversation. Give us a ring here on 89 I'm in conversation with the director of Global Gaming Africa, uh, John Kamara. We're talking about the uh, world of uh, gaming and uh, this on the sidelines of the Ice Africa Conference, which is taking place here in Johannesburg uh, from uh, tomorrow right through to uh, Thursday, bringing together the gaming community and the ecosystem uh, to talk about a wide array of uh, issues here. And uh, I'd love to hear some of your own perspectives because it's quite clear that uh, even as a uh, continent that has uh, a large captive audience here of uh, consumers of uh, some of the gaming products that emerge from the ecosystem, very little of the production, I guess, mirrors our own realities and experiences. And uh, it, I hope, uh, least of all, uh, John, that uh, uh, the uh, conference will dedicate some time to that idea. No, definitely. I mean, the reason why I decided to, to be brand ambassador for ICE when if we're, you know, ICE is a second year and the second time, in, it's to be able to bring that knowledge and to try and see how do we bridge the gap between the consumers mm. who are the active market opportunity and, you know, the real money, which is actually in the creation of the content mm. and the ownership of Let, that Let's content. talk about that value chain. Where, where is the money for real? I mean, so we know, yes... The idea starts off with some guy who's got the storyboard and, you know, they say, yeah, this is how I want the game to unfold. Uh, that then goes into some lab process where a lot of the IP design elements go into it, the knowledge intensive stuff. There's then an entire world of distribution, marketing and, you know, the retail leg of that. And I'm quite interested in, I guess, the distribution of value there. Who, who captures most the, of the value? The, the person who owns most of the value is a distributor. Mm. So that's a guy who, you know, he he takes multiple IPs from different places and distributes it. I mean, the IP holder probably gets a little piece of. So when you look at big game studios, they are both IP creators and, and distributors, distributors or yeah. they buy IP. So they have ownership mm. and, and then they also distribute. So the consumers at the end, you know, the people, even either even a sports product or whatever, you win a bit of money. Yeah, that's okay. That doesn't make so it. So who are those distributors? Like EA Sports? The, yeah. Those kind of people? EA Sports. In, in the gaming world, you have likes of Evolution Sports. Mm. You have like a V2Bet who distribute sports products. Um, you have Microsoft is a big one as well. Mm. You know, So so from, from both lottery all the way down to... Um, different types of games. I mean, for example, in the blockchain world, you have the likes of Quanta who build in blockchain lotteries. Hmm. And that blockchain lottery, what they're trying to use it to do is to revolutionize the world. But what's interesting about that is building a blockchain lottery means we can bring technology 
and we can actually begin to bring our young people to bring products on a blockchain that allows governments now to be and then those young people get a piece of everything that happens mm. now this is the kind of innovation that governments this is the kind of companies our government should be talking to they're like you know even when you, you have a relationship with Microsoft you tell them are you building a game studio here are you developing mm. game labs here mm. you know if you talk to a quanta are you building a studio here are you building a quanta lab so our young people can learn your technology and you can do transfer of technology you know, this is really the problem. It's not just about policies should also look at, you know, where are we going next? And mm. I'm sure you heard the young girl who was at the UN conference. Yes, on said, climate issues, yeah. We're not going to forgive you. It's the same thing. If you guys don't make the right decisions for the next generation, they will not forgive you. Mm. Mm. And gaming mm. is no different. Zero eight nine double one zero double three double seven zero eight nine. Double one zero double three double seven. John Kamara is with me here in studio. Is the director of Global Gaming Africa. And uh, if you'd like to uh, post some questions to him or have any comments about uh, the gaming ecosystem or even its economic potential, and I think the point that he's raising around policy is also about saying let's let's bargain from a position of some assertion of power and say, hey, fine, you know, we might have Microsoft on as uh, you know a software service provider, but there's nothing stopping us from saying. Fine, we've already got the relationship. Let's now expand it into the gaming space. Come and open up a lab here or uh, come and set up a, a South African distributor that can be able to take some of this intellectual property from the existing ecosystem here in South Africa and we can localize uh, that value chain. I'd love to hear from you as well uh, some of your ideas on this particular one. I'm certainly in the palette Dolwen, uh, this particular idea. It's one of those I'm going to fold up and put in a nice handkerchief uh, for some of the meetings that are coming up soon. Eight minutes it is before 9 p.m. If uh, you're interested in the world of gaming, that ICE conference happening, uh, ICE Africa, happening at the Santon Convention Center, it is free. So uh, do certainly head out there over the next two days or so, starting tomorrow and ending on Thursday. And uh, I'm in conversation with uh, John Kamara, uh, who's a director uh, at uh, uh, the Global Gaming uh, Africa. Did I get that right? Um, Global Gaming Africa. Yes. Um, John, you were talking to me during the break about, you know, uh, the impact on the Japanese economy that gaming has had. And I, and I was saying, you know, uh, you mentioned anime. I've always thought, I mean, you know, I remember Captain Tsubasa as a, as a kid, you know. It was both an um, animation TV series uh, here at the Public Broadcaster, actually, and also in the TV games. You, you, would, you would find the same kind of concept across uh, both of these two platforms. Let's talk about that. Briefly. Yeah, and, and you know, th- what they've done is they've taken part of their culture, they've taken technology, they've taken building ecosystems that allow them to own their IPs, and then created this idea to the world, which mm. they export and sell. And uh, not just from animation or from social games or from gaming, they've even turned it into casino games. Mm. Now, when you go into casinos, you see different types of iconic features that represent different things, right? So you don't you don't necessarily map that, except you really think through it properly, mm. you know. And then the same thing when they also look at how they've been able to evolve, especially in Asia, they involve different types of games. I mean, look at the Chinese; they involve card games, which they sell software back to us across. I mean, every 80, 90% of gaming companies in Africa buy software mm. from somewhere else. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that already means we're losing a huge amount of money mm. in the continent. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't buy software from someone, but I'm also saying that your regulators can also look into that and say, hey, look, okay, well, if we're buying now, can we in the next two, three, four years, can we begin to also give our local companies An who are developing yeah. software the opportunity to be involved? Can we create 
you know, specific type of regulations that also help or give them some a little bit of an edge. There's mm. nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm sitting here and, I, and I'm thinking, you know, a lot of what you're talking about um, can be resolved if we also are able to look now, if indeed we want to capture the future, at what we teach and train young people in now, right? So I've heard a lot about game-based learning as a way to teach young people so many different things. But uh, maybe that's one way to teach kids. But there's also the opportunity to teach kids, you know, animation with the intention of getting them into some of the software and the game lab space uh, so that you're able to create your own basis of human capital that can be able to play in that game. Because uh, it doesn't make sense to go and bargain with a software provider. And then he says, yeah, but where are your software or, or, or game creators, you know, where, where are the labs? And you can't really have anything to show for it. it, it it's, a, it, it's the same, you know, you're absolutely correct. It's the same issue across all the different types of spectrum of gaming. So, so if we kind of break it down for a minute, say look at lottery, huge revenue generator for any country. Mm. Number one type of game in, a, in Ireland, everybody plays lottery. It's a secondary form of nature. Mm. South Africa, people play lottery. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but then if you look at who are the lottery, major lottery providers, who are the ones who provide the software for us, where are young people involved in this? Mm. How do we begin to use some of that money to develop young? How do we do you know gaming for economic development? Mm. How do we do social responsible gaming? And that's all part of social responsible gaming. If you look at sports betting, crazy huge across the continent. People are making, you know, operators are making money. Great continent now that is exploding because the amount of young people. So it's not about, you know, super taxing this, you know, because the operators who are operating our local companies, we are just the end users. Mm. So if you tax the end users to debt, you're still killing us. Mm. So mm. it's now creating a structure that allows us to be able to become co-owners of our own destinies. You know, and that is, and the young people who are in this continent, who are the players, how do we turn them into creators? How do we turn them into ones who also drive the value chain? The industry is not going to go away. The industry is going to continue to increase. There's going to be continue to be more money made in the industry. But policymakers should talk to people who are experts in the industry, find people who can help you. Because you, one of the important things I said to somebody today, most of the poli, you know, regulators, policymakers, most of them have no experience in gaming. Mm-mm. They were just put in a position and they have to learn on the job. And then you expect them to make the right decision. How is that possible? Mm. John, John, I guess for me the, the other thing is about which global experiences and examples. You've mentioned Japan as one of them. I'm interested in which experiences have been able to leverage gaming for all of the potential you know, uh, opportunities. Because the gaming part for me, yes, there is the experience of playing the game, but there's all manner of other opportunities in merchandise, in you know, uh, uh, some of the other stuff that is often associated with the games. I mean, you look at Denmark as a really strong gaming ecosystem. Um, a lot of the Asian countries, Philippines, have great gaming laws, great gaming structure. Um, if you look at places like the UK, you know, gambling compliance is huge. You know, there's a lot. I mean, a lot of money was made for the Olympics mm. from gaming, you know, from lottery. Mm. From the UK, mm. you know, quite a huge amount of money that funded the Olympics came from the UK lottery mm. because I mean, it was structured. I mean, even much of the funding for NGOs, for social economy players here in South Africa, comes come. from it comes already from the National Lotteries Commission. Exactly. Yeah. So if you now begin to really look at how, you know, we, a lot of these other countries have continued to mine, not just the, the end user part. I'm also very interested in how do we bring our young people into this process. And that is what's going to consistently build our ecosystem and our community to say we are also enjoying 
the fruits, not just about some government agency doing, but you know, how do we get the populace mm. as key drivers of this sector? Yeah, yeah. There might be a lot of parents listening into the show and saying, you know, um, I was shouting at the young man for, for playing PlayStation right up until 11 p.m. last night. Uh, but uh, I might maybe have to encourage him to play for a lot longer. Yeah, of course. And when we're going to have the Gaming World Cup in the eSports World Cup in Kenya mm. next year, I mean, that's going to be a million-dollar prize. Whoa, For some what? young person, yes. Across Africa, only for African players. So before I let you go, I mean, I guess that's a big one. We've seen some of the big brands here in South Africa, likes of Kaiser Chiefs, Orlando Pirates, in the sports place, um, in the sports world, I should say, playing in this esports space, right? Yeah. Um, what opportunities are there just outside, I guess, of sports for even other brands? I mean, you know, I think of our own state-owned entity, Danel. It's got a massive investment over multiple decades in, you know, uh, intellectual property in the aerospace and defense world, right? And they've got all these simulations that they use to train people. Uh, how easy would it be to transition some of those things into gaming it, it, platforms that you can use? It's not that difficult. I mean, it's all part of technology, artificial mm. intelligence, internet of things. And if you think about it, just to answer the first part of your question, esports is one of the fastest growing form of entertainment. Entertainment. Gaming being secondary. Mm. Entertainment and competition. Mm. It's a sport. It's a knowledge game. You train, you get better, you, you acquire skills. You trade players. 10,000 hours. Man. You know, you become a pro. It's like playing football. It's just you're playing football from mm. your home. Some people have even become managers. You no, know? no, I mean, yeah, people yeah. are professional mm. esports players who earn a million dollars. You know, people trade players across the world. So we're trying to build the most extensive esports league but also esports tournaments across this continent, which is what we're putting together. And at the same time, now bringing the key players, your likes of Microsoft and other people, and saying, help create young people who create the games that we use in these competitions because mm. we have our critical mass. And we're not talking about just football. You're talking about, you know, you know creating games based on our culture, mm. creating entertainment mm. games based on our lifestyle. You know, when people play a lot of these games, you know, that they, that they used to play for um, in different esports tournaments, he's like, why can't we create a game called Shango, which is a, an Algerian god? Mm. Why can't we create a game around our president, the ex-president? Why can't we create games around our history? Mm. Why can't we create a game around Shaka Zuli? It's so funny. I, I remember playing a game where... You know, I, I just can't recall the name of it, but it was a game where you went into Angola and you had to go and shoot the terrorists of MPLA, right? Now, where I'm sitting, I don't see MPLA as terrorists. MPLA is freedom fighters, right? Maybe I might see UNITA in a different way. But how much of the games that come from the North continue to, I guess, drive certain ideas of the world and, and effectively influence some of the, you know, uh, uh, I guess, how do I say it, impressionable minds to take certain views because remember the, pe the young kids are playing the games mm. I mean, when you go about esports people from the age of 12 mm. play this game so it's, a, it's not just a form of entertainment it's also yeah. a form of education mm. a form of history and a form of curating the mind of that young person yeah. so if we're not in control of that and our games are not nowhere to be shown we're not even becoming the game developers using our culture our mm. history I mean how many kids in West Africa know about Shaka Zulu mm. I mean, Shaka Zulu could become one of the biggest games in the world because the yeah. story is epic. It's universal. Exactly. But how many of them know? Time. I know because I watched it from mm. some British movie. Yeah. 
John Kamara, we'll have to leave it there, my brother. Really appreciate it. If you want to uh, hear more from John, uh, head out to the Santa Convention Center from tomorrow right through to Thursday where the ICE uh, Africa Gaming uh, Summit is happening. Uh, entrance is free. And uh, that's where we're going to have to leave it. The man with the music is already here. Sentless with you from 9 through to midnight. You have yourself a great evening. Take strength, my Africa. Aska Kribi, Okwe Banga, Le Economy.